podcast episode two, Lindsay Theory with Ben Bolch, the Los Angeles Times, and college football really is almost here. It's right around the corner on Saturday. UCLA is going to kick off the season against Texas A&M in College Station at Kyle Field. We have a lot to get to today. Obviously, we're going to preview the matchup, talk a little bit about Jim Mora, how he expects his team to respond. Of course, we're going to touch on Noel Mazzoni. He's going to be lining up on the opposite sideline of the Bruins. We'll get into Connor McDermott, Mike Juarez, our keys for UCLA, and then we'll give you our predictions and time-willing. Ben Bolch wants to get into a little pop culture because I need to be schooled on it. Ben, uh, are you ready for your first trip college football heading off to College Station? Yeah, absolutely. After uh, four weeks, uh, of watching UCLA scrimmage essentially against UCLA. It's time to uh, watch something else. So I'm excited to see uh, another team. And this was, this, you know, this should be one of a fabulous, part of a fabulous weekend of, of opening games across the country. Um, so, yeah, really stoked to, to get it going. Okay, so right off the top, Ben, I have to address this tweet that I never thought in a million years was going to go viral and get this kind of traction. And and part of me feels bad. Part of me says, well, that's Twitter, 140 characters. Part of me says, what's the big deal here? Why, why are A&M fans losing their mind? So essentially yesterday, uh, after a practice, we talked to Josh Rosen. And you asked him, I believe, about, about the crowd noise and how you deal with the crowd noise. And Josh said, you know, after about 50,000 fans, it all sounds the same. Once you can't hear, you really just can't hear. Uh, so I sent off a tweet that said after about 50,000 fans, it all sounds the same uh, in regards to how he's going to anticipate the noise at, call, at uh, Kyle Field that, you know, after you can't hear, you can't hear. I thought that was pretty well implied. Uh, apparently a fans thought that was a diss at them, but after, after you're tone deaf or, or just deaf because of the noise, I mean, are there other levels to that? Yeah, it's funny. It's it, it is kind of a question. I mean, once you get into like the uh, ear bleeding decibel level, I mean, what, isn't it all kind of the same? I mean, a jackhammer versus a jumbo jet kind of thing, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think they they you know kind of probably overreacted to that. But let's let's take a second to to talk about Aggies fans though, because did you see the tweet they sent out? Uh, I think it was. I, I'm not exactly sure what the handle is, but they had a picture of a UCLA uh, helmet being crushed by a hydraulic press. Uh, so I was wondering, is Jim Moore going to put that clip uh, up on the uh, bulletin board before the game uh, to get his team pumped up? So, you know, this stuff goes back and forth. It's typical fan stuff. They'll get upset by, by almost anything or look on look for anything to latch on to. So just, just all part of the fun. Fun, unless your Twitter is getting blown up with at mentions, then suddenly you feel like, you have a fan base who wants you to uh, be buried 10 feet under, which is how I feel about UCLA's fans with me right now. Um, you know, like I said, it, Josh said that once you can't hear, you can't hear, and I think that's a fair statement. I guess that Aggies fans want to prove that uh, there's another level to loud, that, that he's not only not going to hear, but he's basically going to be shook to the core by their 12th man. 
Yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible when you think about, you know, 100,000-plus people at this game. Um, and, and obviously, if they get off to a good start and kind of build on that, Texas A&M is going to be tough for UCLA to come back on. But that's, you know, that's kind of what Josh was saying was, you know, last year they went to Utah. I know they, they have about half the capacity of Texas A&M, but it's known for being, you know, one of the louder Pac-12 venues. And they scored on the first drive it really kind of took the fans out of the game. So, you know, a couple of people have talked about, you know, wanting that fast start, trying to minimize the impact of the fans on the, you know, false starts and bad snaps and things like that. So, you know, it's not, it's probably not going to be uh, imperative to UCLA winning this game, but certainly it would be a nice bonus and a nice start if they could kind of take that element away uh, early in the game. Yeah, well, that definitely kind of is what it boils down to. So let's kind of get into the actual game itself, Jim Mora wants to, I mean, this is going to be a big test for his team. They're going to SEC country. They're going to have to minimize the Aggies crowd right away. Um, you know, what do you think he's expecting from his team? You know, that's, that was one of the talking points today um, after their short practice was um, it is kind of the great unknown. I mean, obviously, you know, they have a lot of returning starters and, and Josh Rosen at quarterback, but you know, they've had kind of a feel-good off-season of uh, getting stronger and, and, and implementing what they want to do, and, and he seems to be, you know, really stoked about what they've done. But on the flip side of that is they haven't, they haven't played anybody. I mean, obviously nobody has, but, uh, you know, going up against another team now after this kind of bittersweet off-season with the bad taste in their mouth of, uh, of the way last season ended, uh, he's eager to see how they're going to respond the way he put it, you know, to being hit in the mouth, and he knows it's going to happen a couple times in that Texas A&M game, regardless of what happens. You know, there are going to be challenges and adversity. So that's kind of the big question mark he's waiting to see is, is how are they going to respond? Are they going to be able to meet that challenge, come back and win the game? And so that's, that's you know, the big, the big question mark right now. Well, hit in the mouth, but UCLA has tried to do some things about that. Obviously, they weren't going to go through the offseason and not address that problem. They've altered the offense. They've tried to make it more smash mouth, really bringing in some tight ends and some fullbacks. And that's interesting because they're going to be facing their former offensive coordinator. Noel Mazzoni is going to be on the other side of the field. So UCLA's off, our defense, excuse me, has a very good idea what to expect. They're very familiar with Noel Mazzoni. Meanwhile, UCLA's offense is going to bring something new. Yeah, it's going to be kind of the, the interesting cat-and-mouse game. And Olmazoni, I believe, this is his 14th coaching stop. And, and you know, he's the first to say he, he's not going to make wholesale changes to what he's going to do. You know, he's going to, you know, maybe give them a different look here or there or, or you know, bring in a defensive player to, to run some plays like they did with uh, with Miles Jack or Eddie Vanderdose at UCLA. But, you know, a lot of what they're going to do is similar to what UCLA is used to um, seeing, you know, these last four years when he was on campus. So, um, you know, I think that that is going to be a little bit of an advantage for UCLA. Um, you know, he said this week on the flip side, he, he's used to seeing what their defense does. And that's a fair point as well. And, and it hasn't been talked about nearly as much. But, um, you know, I, I think ultimately, as, as Noel said this week, you know, kids, kids make plays. You know, you know, you can call, you can call what you're going to call football um, is a game with not as much variety as people think, but ultimately it comes down to what these kids do on the field. So I know that sounds like a little bit of a cliche, but it's true. 
Um, so that's ultimately how it's going to play out and be decided. Well, I think that's kind of what Josh Rosen said this week also in regards to how the offense has changed. You know, football is football. You're not going to reinvent the wheel. You just need to figure out really what works for you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you know, it's not just Normazoni and Texas A&M, but, you know, obviously UCLA is going to have to uh, – I mean, they, they're going to probably be in for a bigger adjustment as far as, you know, implementing – this new offense under Kennedy Palomalu, as you said, you know, the smash mouth style. And this will be the first, you know, test that we'll see, you know, does this work? You know, they geared it for Stanford, but Texas A&M, you know, style-wise is a similar team being in, you know, the SEC. They're a bigger physical team, not as much finesse as some of the Pac-12 teams. Um, So this, this will be a good early indication. Obviously, you know, you won't be able to draw any definitive conclusions, but I think after this first game, you know, if things go well, we can say, man, you know, this is, this looks good. They're on schedule to, to be where they want to be. Or if things don't go well, you know, you could say, Oh, you know, what, what, what are they doing? Um, You know, are they going to be able to, to implement this style that they want? So it's, it's going to be really fascinating um, to watch and and see how it plays out. Tackle Connor McDermott decided to you know return for his final season in Westwood, and he's going to get a challenge right off the bat. But if you're him, this is probably what you live for. He's going to go against Miles Garrett. So if you're Connor McDermott, you obviously have a really big chance week one of the season to prove a why you came back, but b why you should be one of the best linemen in the country. Yeah, absolutely, and this is uh, you know shameless plug alert uh, number one of this podcast. Um, How you know, many I'm shameless con- plugs do you get per podcast? <laughs> I think two is probably a good number. So uh, we're, I'll give we're you halfway three there. if you really want uh, it. <laughs> Connor, um, you know, as you said, this this is kind of why he came back to to go up against these types of players and show that you know he can he can do this at the next level um, because he really only has a full season of college football. Uh, that he's played he's been injured before that um so you know this is kind of a showcase game for him um as as some people have noted you know they'll move miles Garrett around it won't always be a one-on-one matchup and in fact ucla's new style actually uh, will will keep it from being a one-on-one matchup with uh tight ends and fullbacks that will help out with some of the blocking uh duties as well but certainly it's going to be one of the most fascinating individual battles to watch and you know, talking to Connor this week, I think he, he he's really uh, excited about um, not just this this you know matchup, but you know the start of of what's almost certainly going to be his final college season because um, he wants to take on that kind of leadership role. And let's face it, who who is the I was thinking about this this week. Who is kind of the the number two guy on this team, but behind Josh Rosen? I mean, I'm not saying it's Connor, but somebody you know to step up and, and take that role of being kind of the star. Uh, of this team and the face of this team, and, and I would say that Connor's in the running for that. Even though he's, you know, an offensive lineman, and they're yeah. usually pretty anonymous, he's that good. You know, he's he's six six nine and about uh, three hundred ten pounds, and, and probably uh, on pace to be a first round NFL player. So um, you take that, and, and if he can kind of negate the impact of a Miles Garrett. You know, he's got to be one of the, one of the go-to guys on this team. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point, especially you know as UCLA kind of seeks to find who their next big receiver is. Uh, you know, they're kind of running back by committee with three different guys listed as a starter. So Connor really does, as you said, have a chance to step up and, and behind Josh say, you know, I'm a leader of this offense and uh, be a marquee guy for the Bruins this year. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, that brings me to another thing that Jim was saying today. I was asking him about his reluctance to name um, a formal depth chart. And, um, you know, he, and I think he had a pretty good response to it. He said he's not, he's not doing it to be sneaky um, or to try to, like, you know, fool the opponent into not knowing who's going to play. He does it because there are so many guys that are going to shuffle through these positions. Like you mentioned running back. I mean, I was just looking at the receiver's list. I mean, they literally have like eight guys um, who, you know, I expect to at least get a, a, see some action on the field. And, and, you know, I don't think all eight of them will be marquee guys. But, um, you know, you go up and down this roster and there's several positions where you really don't know who is going to be kind of the go-to guy. Um, and so that that's interesting in that there's going to be uh, lots of lots of depth potentially, and lots of positions where uh, things still need to shake out. So that that's another interesting thing to watch this week. Who's going to get a lot of playing time, and who's going to kind of solidify themselves uh, on both sides of the ball? That's funny. You ask for a depth chart. I ask for them to wear numbers at practice. So that when we're squinting from 50 yards away, we have some shot at being able to tell who's who. But it sounds like we're never going to be really completely satisfied. And I, I think Jim Mora has a nice laugh about that to himself some afternoons. Yeah, you know, if they were really going to do it uh, the way we wanted, I think they would hook up their music to, to our uh, Pandora so that uh, some, of my, some of my songs could play instead of hearing... Uh, 50% uh, you know, classic rock and 50% rap as they've been doing it. I think they need to uh, vary it up a little bit. Ben, what's, be your, what's your style of music? Um, it's pretty eclectic. I go from uh, you know, 90s alternative. I, I do like my classic rock, but uh, I think my tastes are a little bit different than what I've been hearing in practice. Um, you mean your tastes and, you aren't know, in uh, line with uh, the UCLA coaching staff or a bunch of 19-year-old boys? Yeah, you know, I'm probably Shocker. somewhere in the middle between their tastes, I would say. Yeah, which means you're ruled out of this. Your Pandora list is not going on there. Good luck. Good try. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... That's probably safe to say. Uh, there seems to... I mean, there's always a little bit of a sick bay at practice, a little island of players who are trying to rehab, get their bodies right. Who do you expect on Saturday will and will not be available of any guys that are kind of on the edge? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a pretty short list, which is good for UCLA. I mean, it looks like right now um, fullback Cam Griffin and um, defensive lineman um, Deion Hollins are both out because even though they've made a lot of progress in their return from concussions, they're not at that 100% level where um, Jim Moore feels comfortable in putting them out there. So um, they, are, they are probably no-goes against the Aggies uh, on the flip side. Um, tight end Austin Roberts has practiced fully the last two days and has been cleared, so that's good. Um, and, you know, there were a couple guys who we really haven't seen much of uh, that were we already kind of knew were going to be out, Paco Perez um, and, and, and Marcus Moore, and, and they've we've known they've been out uh, for a while now, so that's that's really no surprise. But, you know, that's a pretty short injury list, so I think that's, that's, a, that's some good news uh, for UCLA coming out of a pretty physical – preseason practice that there's not this long list of guys that are, are going to be unavailable. Absolutely, and especially after last year, how they started, and I know it was, took a little bit going through a couple games, but they were, I mean, that last season started out so hopeful, and they were decimated immediately with injuries, so if their legs are feeling good, they're all feeling healthy, that's got to be a really good sign as they go into the season. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, they lost uh, they lost Eddie Eddie Vanderdose uh, right in the, that season opener, and, and Fabian Moreau in the in the BYU game, and their defense, uh, and of course Miles Jack uh, early in the season as well, and their defense was never the same. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the big story last season. So it'll be interesting to watch these these first handful of games. Uh, if they can stay healthy, because that's going to obviously be a key. Not on the injury list, but also not on the list of players expected to make the trip to College Station is heralded five-star recruit Mike Juarez. He is still technically on the roster with the team, still working through some personal issues. Ben, any kind of end in sight for this to the sense of, you know, he's either going to rejoin the team fully or... They're going to make a decision on on what his future this season, at least with the Bruins, is. You know, I don't. There's there's no clarity whatsoever there right now. But I would imagine, uh, and Jim has said that um, he's not going to play against Texas A&M. You know, obviously he hasn't practiced for pretty much three weeks now, so um, he's out. And, but the, the question becomes: Is this going to be an ongoing thing? And I, and I would think that we would get some kind of clarity on it within two or three weeks. I mean, if he's not out there, at least back at practice by, say, you know, the BYU game in the third week of the season, I think it's going to be pretty clear that they're going to be looking at, you know, a redshirt uh, season for him, assuming, you know, he does stay with the team and there's no indication he'll leave the team. But um, I I think at this point, it's kind of looks like it's heading in that direction. Uh, barring some kind of breakthrough here uh, in the next week or so. Well, and the other thing is you also have to be somewhat fair to your other players who've been out there practicing for the last three weeks and who've been preparing for the games. Uh, You know, you have to decide what's best for for your team chemistry. And I'm sure all the players, all UCLA players, want the best for Mike. Uh, They want him on the team. They want him to be a part of the team. and, And they want to use his skills but they also want to make sure that, you know, their spot on the depth chart doesn't get bumped when they've been putting in all the work this fall. Yeah, it's kind of a tough situation all the way around because obviously he feels bad about not being out there. They want to support him, yet, as you said, you know, they earn the right to, to play uh, and to hold their positions based on being in practice and playing in games. So, um, you know, the longer he's out, the more kind of awkward it gets for all involved. And I would say, you know, uh, as I mentioned, I think pretty soon here we're, we're kind of reaching the point of no return on this season, um, and I don't think they would want to waste him on you know a handful of games late in the season, barring some kind of uh, injury mm-hmm. rash of injuries. So um, I, I think this this situation will will probably play itself out uh, fairly soon here. Okay, so UCLA heading into College Station, keys for the Bruins to win this thing. My first key after feeling the wrath of Texas A&M Twitter, which is SEC country crazy, uh, my first key is that UCLA's got to start fast. The Bruins cannot have one of their road starts like they have notoriously the last couple of openers on the road where they start slow and decide to make this miraculous second-half comeback. This has got to be pedal to the metal, go from the second they hit Kyle Field. Yeah, you know, I think that that's a good point. Um... I think they probably can recover a little bit, but you know, obviously, I don't think they can get down like twenty-one nothing. You know, Jim Moore was talking about how they fought back uh, from a similar deficit to that against Nebraska uh, a couple of years ago. But I think that game was also highly emotionally charged. That I mean, that was a very emotional game for the Bruins. So I I almost kind of discount that comeback. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And and I think, you know, with with, with so many question marks at receiver and running back as far as who's going to be kind of the workhorse guys there, I think that, um, you know, getting some kind of breakthrough there uh, will be huge for UCLA, um, you know, momentum-wise and just kind of getting that strut and swagger from, from getting – big plays from guys that are kind of making their case to be the guys on this team. So I think that's going to be huge. I, I think, uh, you know, stopping the run, even though, you know, Texas A&M had some great receivers and, and, and they're going to do the spread with, with Norma Zoni, and we know we're going to see, you know, a million plays. I think uh, this will be a good chance for UCLA's run defense to say, hey, you know, we, we made the adjustments. We were, we were awful last year. Eddie Vanderdose is back. We're going to stop the run. We're going to keep these guys from trampling over us for 200, 300 yards a game. So um, I think they're going to come come to look to make a statement, and I think that is going to be another huge key. Yeah, I'm really excited to see Eddie Vanderdose return. You know, it, it was a big disappointment for UCLA. I think for college football fans everywhere, that tandem last year with him and Kenny Clark, it was supposed to be so huge. And obviously Kenny's now moved on to the NFL, so now kind of comes back to Eddie's shoulders but it's going to be certainly interesting to see where he's at coming off the injury and, and to see if he's missed a beat or if he can just pick up where he left off. Yeah, it's been it's been uh, Tom Brady and, uh, and Jim Moore have, have both kind of gushed uh, over the last week or so about uh, this is kind of the old Eddie, the old explosiveness um, that they're used to seeing uh, of him coming off the line. And, um, you know, one thing to watch will be is he going to wear that knee brace uh, in the opener, he's worn it, you know, pretty much throughout preseason practice. He said there was some scar tissue lingering in that knee. He was kind of working, working out. Um, so, you know, is he fully out of that? And, and what's his mobility like um, against a huge physical team like Texas A&M? So um, that'll be that'll be interesting to watch to see um, if he kind of is back to where he was before he suffered that injury. Any UCLA players that you think? have a chance here other than Connor McDermott going up uh, against Miles Garrett to really to really stand out. I mean, is this the point where we're going to start to see a receiver emerge, a running back emerge? What what do you think is going to happen there? Well, as far as uh, you know, Miles Garrett they were saying that uh, you know, they expect him to move around quite a bit. So it won't be it won't just be Connor, you know, Colton Miller uh, on the other end of the line could could have to face him at some times. Um Nate Essie at uh Tight ends will, will will help out from time to time there as well, um, but um, you know I, I'll, I'll give a couple of predictions here about guys who I think looks good in the preseason who who could emerge. I, I've given Nate. I think I gave him some. some yeah, you love gave him last, some love last, last week. week. Yeah, and um, you know I don't I remember if I mentioned this, but Jim Moore already compared his hands to to those of Jim Rice, which. Uh, or I'm sorry, Jerry Rice, which, which you know, to say that if somebody's caught 24 passes in his career is pretty, That's pretty incredible. Jim so. kind of does that sometimes, doesn't he? He makes comparisons where you kind of look and say, hmm, maybe one day, Jim, a little soon, maybe a little soon. <laughs> well, but you have to love the enthusiasm, right? Well, you, I, I guess. You don't have to love it, but I, you have to listen <laughs> to it. Yeah, I mean it, it's funny though. We'll we'll see. You know, we'll. I mean, we'll never know. You know, if he's if he's that good till his career is done. But um, you know, it'll be a good test to see if he is kind of that that hands guy into the third and sixth situation uh, when when Josh Rosen needs somebody that he can rely on. If Nate can become that guy, and I think based on what I've seen, he can. Uh, but as far as other you know receivers who I, I think 
Um, it looked really good. Um, you know, Alex Van Dyke and Eldridge Massington have that size um, that, that they really want to replace after losing you know, four of their top five pass catchers from last year. I really like their size. I think that'll be a factor. Um, the, the most fun guy to watch probably will be Ishmael Adams. I'm excited to see him. I'm excited to see him on offense. Yeah, I mean, they're going to line him up all over the field. He could be slot. He could be wide. He could be in the backfield. You know, he's five feet eight. He's going to be going up against guys who, uh, you know, are, you know, about the same size as him as defensive back. So he's, he's not going to have that huge edge that most receivers do. But his, his, his advantage is that he knows their tendencies and he's shifty and he's crafty and he can, you know, use that to his advantage. Um, and once he has the ball, he, he, he's one of those guys that once he gets the ball, he can kind of shift into that overdrive. Um, so he'll be fun to watch. I think Kenny, Kenny Walker, fastest guy on the team, is going to be fun to watch on, on some deep routes. Um, Nate, um, Theo Howard, yep. the, um, the freshman receiver, a lot of people say he's got the most naturally gifted uh, receiver on this team. He's only a freshman, so it's going to take some time, but it'll be interesting to see if he can – uh, as a freshman, you know, kind of show that he's going to be you know, a force. Uh, and, and some of his teammates have already predicted that will happen this season. So those are some guys to, to look out for, um, though I think could be could be big in this A&M game. I think that, uh, you know, regardless of, of who we're looking to maybe make a name for themselves, it's always going to come down with the Bruins right now to Josh Rosen. I just can't wait to see how the sophomore goes in there and performs. Uh, last season, there were a few letdowns, but overall, I, and his potential is just off the charts. I'm very curious to see if they've kind of told him, stop throwing across your body. That's uh, going to register with him. But uh, I, I think that this could be a huge, huge game. Not that Rosen's any kind of secret, but, uh, you know, this is going to be a national stage, and I, th- I think fans across the country are really going to get a chance to see him shine. Yeah, you know, especially coming off of being on the uh, cover of, of Sports Illustrated's uh, college football preview issue, you know, he's going to want to come out there and, and show that, um, you know, he's worth the hype. And, and you know, it's funny, you know, uh, Jim Moore has talked about, you know, is he going to be Johnny Manziel, is he going to be Tom Brady or, or Peyton Manning? Well, for one week, he'd probably like to be Johnny Manziel because he's playing in the home of Johnny Football, and I think uh, emulating him in that way, at least on, on the, the field, football field, Kyle on the football field. field, yeah, on the football field, you know, that would be that would not be bad to be Johnny Manziel uh, as far as the way he plays Saturday uh, at Kyle Field. So I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic as well. Um, certainly going to be fun for me to watch. I've never, I didn't, you know, I didn't cover the team last year. This will be my first real look at him. I've been told it. He's the kind of guy who, I won't say, you know, saves stuff in practice, but really flourishes on game day unlike in practice. So I'm eager to see if that's the case and if that kind of wow factor um, that people have told me about really reveals itself. Ben, at the Los Angeles Times, we're excited all season long to be giving our college football picks every single weekend. I know you and I were thrilled to know not only do we need to pick a winner, we need to pick the score. So this week, I I know UCLA fans really have so many reasons to not like me after the tweet and now this, but I'm picking A and M. I think the Aggies are going to win twenty four to seventeen. I think it's going to be really close, but at the end, you, the home field advantage is too much. As m- much as I think UCLA is going to hang with them and, and really challenge them up to the final minutes. Wow, wow! I'm going to go. I'm going to go in the other direction. Well, I'm gonna, really. I'm gonna say- 
You are. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go UCLA thirty-one to twenty-seven. I think they've got um, as many questions as they do. I think they've got the answers. I think we will see somebody step up and make big plays. Um, I think Josh will have a, an outstanding game. I think the defense will give up some touchdowns, but I think they'll they'll be good when they need to. And uh, you know, I think they will get it done. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Bruins here, even though I I don't want to be a homer right off the bat in my first week. I just have that feeling that uh, it's gonna be a tough one, but I think UCLA does it. I think UCLA is missing one Christian Kirk. I think Christian Kirk's gonna wreak havoc. I I think they're gonna have a hard time stopping him. So I'm I'm giving the Aggies with Christian Kirk uh, on their offense the nod there. Wow. Ben, bold move, but you know the Pac-12 going into Texas this weekend. USC is at Alabama, or against Alabama at Jerry World. UCLA at A&M. What a statement it would be for the Pac-12 to come away with a win against one of those teams, right? Yeah, I mean, especially if USC does. I mean, not to to say this this UCLA game is not huge. I think it is, but uh, you know, I think I think that a lot of people expect them to win. They are they are the only ranked team in the matchup. They're 16th uh, in the AP, and, and Texas A&M's unranked. So, you know, I think it'll be a good win, but not uh, not not anything that would really shock or surprise a lot of people. I think the big one would be uh, the Trojans because they're going up against the what most people think is the best team in the nation. So, yeah, I mean, but if they can both win. Yeah, it's a huge. It would be a huge flag waving moment for the Pac-12, and and a huge step toward getting uh, one of their teams back in that college football playoff after being uh, out last season. Yeah, I think asking for both is a really tall task. But uh, if either one of the Los Angeles schools has a better chance to do it, it's got to be the Bruins. So I'm sure many many Pac-12 fans are going to be tuning in for that. Uh, before we wrap up the podcast. Ben, I, two things I know about you as we learn more about each other as co-workers. Obviously, wine and pop culture. I got some... Uh, some people gave me a hard time this last week over my affinity for the movie Pretty Woman. So I know you want to try and school a few myself and maybe some other listeners on, on pop culture or, you know, old pop culture. So what do you have for us this week? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a little bit of a Gene Wilder tribute here this year or this week and make it uh, make it topical. He was uh, one of my favorite actors as a child. Just somebody who really kind of uh, you know lit up the screen with his presence. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget. You know, he, he was he was widely known for uh, you know Blazing Saddles and uh, Young Frankenstein and and the one that even you knew about. Which I was a little bit surprised. Uh, Willy Wonka. Um, <laughs> what rock are you living under if you don't know about Willy Wonka? <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, there's been multiple uh, renditions of it, so I thought you would know the Johnny Depp Willy Wonka and not the. Uh, no, Gene I heard one, that but... one was scary, and I don't like scary movies. Yeah, you know, I, I actually found that I've always found the whole concept a little creepy, and, and really a haven't liked creepy? it. A little creepy. A little creepy. Yeah, a lot creepier. You're absolutely right. But you know, my my uh, here's a movie I bet you have not seen um, that was one of my childhood favorites uh, called Silver Streak. Have you seen that? No. Mm-mm. Okay, it was uh, it was it was it was with Gene Wilder and uh, Richard Pryor, and it was set. It was like a, a love slash mystery. So you might like it because there was a love story involved. So it was kind of cheesy, a little bit like Pretty Woman. But uh, it was it was set on an Amtrak train. Uh, headed across the country, and it's like a murder mystery slash love story with some some comedy mixed in. So a lot going on there. 
Um, I think it was came out in like 1976. I think I saw it probably when I was like four or five and thought it was like the coolest thing ever. Um, so uh, if you ever, uh, you know, get that late night where you need that that uh, trip to Blockbuster. Do they even have Blockbuster anymore, by the way? No, there's no such thing as Blockbuster anymore. Oh, man. So I, don't, I don't even know how you're going to get it. It's probably not on okay. Netflix either. It's so. not on Netflix. I don't know it's how you're going to see this movie, but uh, I, I think you should see it at some point. All right, I'll add it to my list uh, for after the season. Uh, that list is growing very quickly also with a few television shows that some friends have told me I need to watch. Something about, like, Ray Donovan or – I don't know. I don't know how people have time for this. There's too much college football. That's the problem. That's absolutely right. I, I, I kind of binge watch uh, one thing, and then that's it. I, I don't have time for anything else. No time. All football, all the time. Uh, ben – you're going to be off to College Station. I'm going to be off to Dallas this weekend. Week one, it's here. Um, this has been the Bear Facts Podcast. If you have any questions you want answered on a future podcast, be sure to send them to Ben or myself. Ben, do you want to tell these fine folks how they can reach you? Yes, uh, I will give you my tongue twister of a Twitter handle at L-A-T-B-Bolch. I need to change that. That's pretty awful. Um, or you can always email me at uh, ben.bolch at latimes.com. That's probably the better way. Um, but uh, either one works. Um, so, yeah, send anything along, and we'll be happy to, to take it on. Ben, self-awareness level is high on your Twitter handle. I think it's fine. I think it's just easy to miss that first B in the B-Bolch. Yeah, it just seems kind of like it all kind of runs together or something. I don't know. Something like that. All right, then. <laughs> uh, we'll check in again next week with our predictions with the latest on the Bruins. Have a great trip to College Station. Tell those Aggie fans I said hello. I will. Thanks, Lindsay.